The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Oh, good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Can you believe it's nine days before Christmas? Can you believe that? It's so amazing. I love it. All the buildup. I started listening to Christmas music in October and watching <laughs> Christmas movies. Like when they first, I'm so excited. It's here. It's here. So uh, Merry Christmas. Glad you're here this morning. We are honored that you are here. We're going to continue our series called Waiting for God today. If you happen to bring a Bible, uh, wait and open. We're going to go to the very next passage uh, from where we were last week. And so we're going to be there in just a moment. Uh, you know, one of the most painful as a pastor, experiences as a pastor, is to watch people walk through a season where they lose hope. Um, marriages fall apart and there's the potential for people to lose hope. Uh, a job doesn't pan out and there's the potential to lose hope. Justice is not served and there is a potential to lose hope. There's sickness and there is the potential to lose hope. One of the painful experiences as a pastor is to watch people go through this experience of losing hope. And sometimes in the process of losing hope, things are made worse whenever we look at other people and we see that everything is going great. And we may make statements like this, or maybe not exactly like this. Maybe we think something like this. It always seems like the favor of God is on that person. And maybe today you are waiting on the favor of God. Maybe you're waiting on pain to end. Maybe you're waiting on disappointment um, to be restored. Maybe you're waiting on justice to be served. Maybe today, I don't know what your story is, maybe today you're waiting on the favor of God. And maybe you're asking questions like, doesn't God care? Doesn't God regard me? Doesn't God know what's happening with me? Doesn't God care about my pain? Doesn't he care about my disappointment? Doesn't he care about the injustice that's been done to me and to other people? Can I say to you this morning, the answer to that question is yes. God does care. In fact, the Christmas story that we read last week and we continue this week, the Christmas story is one of the greatest proofs of God's love and his care for you. We said this last week, and I think it's worth saying it again to you today. God notices you. God regards you. He, he sees you. He hears you. He cares for you. And so this morning, we are in a very familiar text. If you come to church around Christmas time, you've probably heard this story before. If you watch Charlie Brown, you've heard this story before. And it's a very, very familiar story this morning. And it's the story of a woman who was favored by God. And let me say to you right up front, because God favored Mary, it also implies that he favors you as well. The same favor upon Mary is the same favor for which he cares for you today. But let me just say this before we jump into the story of a virgin teenage girl becoming pregnant with the Son of God, that this story is so familiar that it's easy to rush past some of the last few verses of this text. And what I want to say to us this morning is that there's a lot that happens in just a few verses here in this passage in Luke chapter 1. And obscure teenage virgin is favored by God. 
and God fills her and he promises to fulfill his promises through her. And, and then at the end of this story, what happens is she trusts God to do what he says. And because it's church, we often read the story of Mary becoming pregnant and we just breeze through the reality of what would have happened with a pregnant teenage virgin. The reality is there's a radical transformation that happens in this passage in just three short verses. It's a radical transformation that happens. Mary goes from Mary to the mother of God. She goes from doubt to discipleship. And her story this morning helps all of us move from what we think God has called us to be, from sort of this observant believer to this confessing disciple. I think it's so good for us this morning. And even though it's familiar, I don't want you to breeze past this. I hope there's something good for you this morning. If you've ever asked the question, does God favor me? Where is God's favor? Does God care about me? Luke chapter one, starting in verse 26, the scripture says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, again, if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Again, Nazareth is this city that was sort of looked at with contempt by people who lived in Jerusalem, sort of like the way maybe people in L.A. look at Palmdale or Victorville. No shade if you're from there. <laughs> Nazareth sort of had this bad reputation. They were not on good terms with Rome. Um, at one point, one of the disciples, Nathaniel, said, can any good come from Nazareth? And so here we have the angel Gabriel, according to the previous verses before, Gabriel's in the presence of God, and God sends Gabriel with a very special message. And God once again sends Gabriel out with a very special message. And it's interesting that Gabriel doesn't go to the religious center of the nation. He doesn't go to the capital. Gabriel goes to this obscure, tiny village called Nazareth to announce that a teenage virgin would be God's choice for human instrument to bring forth God's son into the world. Verse 27 and God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. By the way, you can read a similar story in the account of Matthew. And they're sort of different, but the reason why they're sort of different is because Matthew is sort of from the perspective of Joseph. Luke is from the perspective of Mary. And so she's a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. By the way, Mary was also a descendant of David, which was vital in the process of Jesus being born. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel, verse 28, went to her, listened to what he said, and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Stop for a moment. It's the Christmas story. We see it in Peanuts. We see it um, on TV. We, we've read it in church at this time of the year. But listen, stop. Have you ever wondered what Mary's doing when Gabriel shows up. Have you ever thought about that? Like, what is this girl doing? Again, she's a teenager. She's pledged to be married anywhere from six months to a year in this betrothal process. She's technically not married, formally not married, even though she calls Joseph her husband. He calls her his wife. They've not engaged in relationships yet. They are still living at home with, with, with mom and dad. Have you ever wondered what Mary is doing when Gabriel shows up, right? 
Maybe Mary's helping mom do chores around the house. Maybe Mary is laying in her bed, dreaming about her wedding day. Um, Maybe Mary's walking around the house, thinking about Joseph. Maybe she's on the way to fetch water to do laundry. Have you ever thought, what is Mary doing when Gabriel shows up? And all of a sudden, here's this man. At first you wonder, does she know this is an angel sent by God? And the angel says, good afternoon. You're highly favored. God is with you. What do you think Mary thinks of what has just been said to her? What do you think Mary thinks of what the angel has just said? As if some stranger shows up and he's like, hey, I've got good news for you today. It's your lucky day. God's chosen you for a special blessing. Let's let's just put this into a real context today. How do you respond to that? (laughs) How do you respond? This is a real story of a real woman. How do you respond to that? Verse 29 tells us how she responded. And it says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words. And she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So she's helping mom around the house, doing chores. She's dreaming about Joseph. All of a sudden, the stranger shows up and says something extraordinarily bizarre to her. No wonder she wondered, right? She was troubled, the scripture says, by Gabriel's statement. Me? Who am I? Why would God favor me? Let's assume this morning that two men walked into the auditorium now wearing black suits, white shirt, black tie. They're not Mormons. They're not from the Matrix. They're from the White House. And they say, excuse me, pastor, I need to interrupt the service for just a moment. I need, and they call you by name. The White House needs them now. (laughs) How would you respond? What, me? Why, Why me? Like, what have I, am I in trouble? What have I done? Why does the White House need me? Your response would probably be, why are you looking for me? So Mary has a similar response. And this is Gabriel's response to Mary, verse 30. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. The Greek word here for favor is this Greek word charis. It's usually translated grace. Listen to me this morning. The privilege that Mary has been given, it's not because of her purity. It's not because of her deservingness. It's not for her goodness. The favor that Mary has shown here is a gift of God's grace. Mary's a believer in God. She's a devout believer in God, but she was the choice of God's grace. Not because she had demonstrated anything spectacular. Not because she had done anything worthy. Listen to me this morning. God's favor, listen, is not because of our righteousness. It's not because of our goodness. It's not because of our purity. It's not because of our faithfulness. Listen, it's because of God's grace. Please understand this idea this morning of God's favor. God's favor is rooted in his grace towards us. 
It's not some merited effort. It's not some achievement we've, we've deserved. It's not something we've required. Listen, if you ever understand God's favor, you need to understand the next few verses. Listen to what the angel Gabriel says. Verse 31, you will conceive and you will give birth to a son. And you are to call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. <laughs> a teenage girl from a remote village in Nazareth that doesn't have a great reputation, not on good terms with Rome, this teenage pregnant virgin is pregnant with God's son from the lineage of David with a never-to-end kingdom. Okay? <laughs> what? What? Like, how can this be? Stop for a moment. And let's try to make this story real. Can, can we acknowledge just for a moment the incredible disbelief that Mary must have thought in this moment? even as a devout follower of God. You've heard these words so many times. You've sat in Christmas services so many times. I want you to listen to them again. Imagining you're a 16-year-old girl, just leave it at that for what it is, and dreaming about your wedding day, and in the middle of doing chores at home, you hear this from a strange man. Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you were to call his name Jesus. He's gonna be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. As Mary hears this, she would have known that the name Jesus had a very special meaning to her. She would have known that the name Jesus had a very special meaning to, to all of the Israelites because the word Jesus is derived from a Hebrew word that means Savior. And the name Jesus signifies the promise of one who saves God's people. So not only is Mary going to conceive in a way that's never been heard of before, but she's also going to play a special role in the salvation of all of God's people. When the angel said in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, to you is born in the city of David a Savior. Who is the Messiah? The Lord. In Jesus, what Mary has heard. In Jesus, the one who would come from her is the fulfillment of the ages that has come. The Messiah that was longed for by all of Mary's ancestors, by all of Mary's friends in the history of God's people. Jesus, the one who would come to save God's people, would bring the history of God's people together. Bring together the reign of David, the promise of the family of Jacob and Israel, the promise to us today. That was the promise of God's favor. Not just to Mary, listen to me, to you today too. To us today. The favor of God, listen to me, the favor of God is more about an awareness of the presence of Jesus in our lives than it is about a solution to our circumstances. Does God care about your circumstances? He 100% does. How do we know? Because he gave us Jesus. The favor of God, though, is more about an awareness of the presence of Jesus than it is about a solution to our circumstances. But think about Mary. 
This promise is given. How preposterous does this seem to a 16-year-old? What do you do? What do you do if an angel comes to you and makes this promise? Do you argue? Do you ask for clarification? Do you, do you call somebody for help? Really, we probably couldn't blame Mary. She laughs out loud or, 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 or she calls 911 for help. Like, like, what do you do in this situation? But that's not how she responded. Mary, Mary didn't even ask for clarity on the heavy stuff. She didn't even ask for clarity on this idea of the Messiah who would save her people. Mary just has one question that she needs cleared up. Verse 34, this is her question. How will this be? <laughs> Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. Have you ever considered Mary's question to be a question of doubt? It sort of is a question of doubt, right? She's a virgin. Virgins don't typically have kids. So she's engaged, but she's not formally married. She's never had sexual relations with a man. How can I be pregnant? Mary's question is an honest question. What she's asking Gabriel is a sincere doubt. Now listen, if you were here last week, you heard us tell the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And as the angel Gabriel came to Zechariah, Zechariah doubted. He questioned the promise, and he got put in time out for nine months. Zechariah is put in time out for nine months because he doubted. But listen, it's different here. Mary's about to get an explanation from Gabriel. What's the difference? Did Zechariah just happen to, to, to catch Gabriel before he had his morning coffee? Was, was Gabriel having a good day when, when he showed up to Mary? Why did Zechariah get put in timeout and Mary gets an explanation? The reason we must determine is because there's good doubt. There's bad doubt. Bad doubt comes from disbelief. It's the way Zechariah doubted. Bad doubt is proud, it's arrogant. It says to God, there's no way you can do this in my situation. And then there's good doubt. It comes from this humble wonder and delight. And it says to God, how can this be true? I don't understand God, but I want to know. And so Mary didn't question the angel's word to her. Although I'm... We have to be confident. It probably sounded pretty incredible. She knew that a virgin would bear a son. How did she know? Because she read the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. She was a sincere believer in God. She knew God's promises. She did not doubt God's promise of a son, God's only son to be born of a virgin. Her doubt was a sincere question that simply said, How's this going to happen? <laughs> How does this happen to someone like me? It's as if Mary said to Gabriel, look, I'm willing to play my part, Gabriel. <laughs> but can you explain this one little detail? Pastor Tim Keller in New York City says, this is the difference between honest doubt and dishonest doubt. Honest doubt leads us to ask honest questions in humility and not defiance. That's real faith. That's believing the impossible. That's trusting God when the facts argue against it. And now in verse 35, we get the only explanation in all of Scripture about how the virgin birth happened. Verse 35, the angels answered, 
and said, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. That's the Holy Spirit. That's Father God. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. We see the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in this passage working together to bring about the salvation of all of humanity for those who will trust in Jesus. And so the explanation that Gabriel gives Mary is very simply this. This is a divine intervention of God. (laughs) That's the explanation that Gabriel gives to Mary when she says, how is this going to happen? Gabriel says, I know it may be difficult to understand, but you just have to trust me. This is a divine intervention of God. I'm sure Mary probably still had some doubts. And so Gabriel transitions to to give her a real-world illustration how God can divinely intervene in people's lives. Verse 36, even Elizabeth, your relative, remember the story? She's going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is now in her sixth month of pregnancy. Now listen to the, the verse 37. For no word from God will ever fail. I read the New American Standard Version, and the New American Standard Version says it like this, for nothing will be impossible with God. In honest doubt, Mary, God gives Mary one of the most faith-building statements in all of the Bible. For nothing is impossible with God. (laughs) Why, why would Gabriel even bring up Elizabeth, by the way? Elizabeth's 70, Mary's 16-ish. Elizabeth gets married, I mean, gets pregnant by natural means. Mary is pregnant by supernatural means. Why even bring up Elizabeth? The, the birth of Jesus is surrounded by two miraculous births. The point that Gabriel wants to make to Mary to confirm her in her sincere doubt and her sincere questioning is that both examples are examples of human impossibilities that are made possible by the word and the promise of God. Nothing is impossible with God. God wants to conceive the savior of the world through a 16-year-old poor girl from an obscure tiny village. He can do it. Many of us this morning walk into the Christmas season and we have doubts. God, why Would you? God, why haven't you? But I want to ask an honest question about our doubts this morning. And the question comes from Mary's example. Are your doubts humble this morning? Are your doubts humble? Are you even open to the possibility of a God, listen to me, who might give you answers that are uncomfortable to you? Are your doubts humble this morning? You know, people most frequently abandon faith and trust in God in times of pain. You probably understand this, but do you know why? Frequently people abandon faith in times of pain because it's not a rational reason. It's typically because we sort of close our minds to the possibility of an all-powerful, all-wise God who allows it to happen in our circumstances, in our situations, in our questions, and in our doubts, we have this preconceived and preformulated answer to our prayers. 
And oftentimes when those preconceived and preformulated answers to our prayers do not come to fruition, we abandon trust and faith in God. I ask you again this morning, are your doubts humble? Are you open to the possibility of a God who may answer you in an uncomfortable way? It's not the doubt that leads people to abandonment. It's this sort of pride. It's sort of this self-centered heart behind our doubts. Listen, the wisdom from this passage this morning is to doubt like Mary, not like Zachariah. And when you understand the favor of God, listen to me, you can doubt confidently. So Pastor Matt, what is the favor of God? What is the favor of God? The favor of God is the assurance that Jesus Christ paid for all of your sins, that he restored you to the almighty God, that he could not love you, listen to me, any more than he loves you right now. That one day, one day, he's going to restore every pain. One day, he's going to restore every disappointment. One day, every justice will be righted. That leads us oftentimes to question God's favor towards us. Why isn't my pain eliminated? Why isn't my disappointment discounted? God, why isn't justice being served? The reality of the favor of God towards Mary through the birth of Jesus is that Jesus came to begin the process of discounting your disappointment. Jesus came to begin the process of eliminating your pain. Jesus came to begin the process of serving justice. And it will all happen in in totality at one point in time. But while we live on earth, it will never be 100% true. And in our doubts, when we say, where is the favor of God? We must be reminded that the birth of Jesus was God's promise to us that he would begin the process process by paying for our sins. By the way, it's our sin that leads us to disappointment. It's our sins that brought disappointment into the world, that brings pain into the world, that brings injustice into the world. The presence of Jesus inserted in this world means that God came to begin to discount all of those things. And in this life, we're still going to have pain and disappointment and trouble and heartache and injustice. But God, through Jesus, is in the process of discounting all of those things. And if you know Jesus today, the favor of God is on you and he's beginning that process now. He's working right now for your good. He's taking the bad things and working them for your good. His favor is always good. Why? Because it brings about all the promises of Jesus. And you can meditate on this phrase this morning. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Can I ask you this morning, which promise of God in scripture do you have trouble believing? Which promise of God is like that spam email that you see coming every week? You're like, yeah, that that can't be true. Is it Psalm chapter 23, verse six? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Is it Isaiah chapter 43, verse two? When you pass through the waters, they will not overcome you. Is it Romans 8, 28? All things work together for the good of those called to his purpose. Is it Romans 8, 32? If God did not spare his own son, would he not now also freely give you all things? Which promise of God are you not believing today? 
Because of the favor of God through Jesus, we can look into the face of our situation. And then we can turn and look squarely into the face of the one who was promised and say, surely he will freely give to me all things. We can doubt with confidence today, leaving room for the almighty God who's bigger than us, who may not answer according to our desires, yet because his favor is on us, we know that he's working good in all things in all of our lives. And so Mary's response to Gabriel, this is incredible, and I hope you've caught the progression here. This obscure girl from an obscure town is approached by an angel sent directly from the presence of God to say, my favor is on you. And in this strange moment when she realizes that this is an angel sent by God, she Questions with sincere doubt, not the promise of God about Jesus, but how this is physically going to happen. And when Gabriel responds, her response is this, verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. We have one of the greatest... um, faith-building statements in all of Scripture in the previous verses. Nothing is impossible with God. Now in verse 38, we have one of the greatest statements of faith in the entire Bible. Let it be to me, Mary says, according to your word. Listen to me. We can read this story at Christmas and and sort of forget what's happened here. This 16-year-old girl, she's doing chores at home. She's daydreaming about her wedding. She's thinking about her husband. And an angel appears telling her, one, you're going to get pregnant. Two, you're going to birth a son. Three, he's going to be the son of God. We can forget what's happened here. And when you ask and when she asks, the angel says to you, don't worry about it. (laughs) The Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you'll end up pregnant. And really, that's all there is to it. And what do you say to that? What do you say to that? Mary said, yes. Yes to God. Yes to the impossible. Yes to the plan of God. Yes to something she could not control. When the angel said, listen, nothing is impossible with God. Mary said, let it be unto me. Mary's yes Implied, it meant, I don't call the shots. I just want what the Lord has planned for my life. That's a great way to doubt God in sincere and humble faith. God, I don't call the shots here. I have a desire, but I just want what you planned for my life. Don't underestimate what Mary's yes meant here. Remember, this is a real situation. It meant disbelief by friends. It meant investigation from her parents. It meant gossip in the neighborhood. It meant risk to her pure reputation. The very real possibility of divorce, which we know according to the book of Matthew that Joseph had intentions to do, had Gabriel not also intervened. It meant risking losing the man she loved. Listen what it meant. Her yes to God ultimately would inevitably cost her the experience of heartache. Pain, you know the story. Opposition, slander, confusion, despair, loneliness. When? Three months from now. 
when we celebrate the fact that the Son of God who came to earth died a horrible death he did not deserve. And in his presence when he died was his mother watching on. That was what her yes implied. Ultimately, inevitably, sometimes we say, gosh, I wish I knew my future. I wonder if Mary knew her future. She would have said yes. I believe it's far better that we don't know what life will bring when we say yes to God, but the fact that we know the God we say yes to. Mary trusted God. She believed God. We know she experienced pain, suffering. She watched her very own son die a horrible death. But in all that we know about Mary, we know she never looked back. This morning, the point is, We should be in full surrender to God. Not trying to negotiate our way into the favor of God. God, I'll do this if you'll do that. I do that so that I can earn your favor. The point is surrendering it all. The angel demanded full and total surrender. If you notice here, he tells Mary what her child's name is going to be. And if you know this, if you're a parent, you like to name your child, right? Laura and I named our kids after a family name and a biblical name. Parents love to name their child. Gabriel says, not this time. Not this one. It's a beautiful picture, this idea that if you're going to fully surrender to God, you're going to have to let God call the shots. There's a story in the Old Testament of a king named Saul. He tried to earn God's favor. He was told by God to destroy everything in a certain town, but he didn't want to because he wanted to be rich. And so what Saul did is after the town had been decimated by his army, he took all the plunder and he sacrificed half of it to God, thinking surely God is going to be happy with my sacrifice, with half of my sacrifice. He only asked for 10%. I'm giving him half. And then God sends the prophet Samuel to God. And the prophet Samuel says to Saul, What you have done is evil. Then he goes on to make a statement. It's so good. Samuel says to the king Saul, God doesn't want your sacrifice. God wants your obedience. The only posture we can have is complete and total surrender. And when we give him complete and total surrender, his promise to us is that he will give all of himself to us. Do you want the favor of God in your life today? What situation are you in? I want to say to you this morning, if you fully surrendered your life to Christ, everything the angel promised to Mary is the promise to you as well. The story goes on in Luke chapter 2, verse 19. It says that Mary treasured all of these things. She pondered them in her heart. So much so that she burst into song and joy. Listen, even in the midst of poverty, even in the midst of her husband questioning her, even in the midst of an interrogation by her parents, even in the midst of gossip in her neighborhood, even in the midst of relationships crumbling, she worshiped with joy. Why? Because she pondered the value of these things. She esteemed them. The Old Testament tells us that God knew you this morning. God 
knew you before you were born in your mother's womb. He knew this day and he appointed it. He sent his son to die on the cross to suffer the penalty of your sin and your shame. And the Christmas story tells us that a son is born to you, but you have to receive him. You have to surrender to him. Acknowledge that he is the Lord. And if you do, all the favor that was given to Mary is also given to you. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Maybe you walk into church on this Christmas season, never had a moment where you've experienced total surrender to God. Acknowledged who you are, sinful, separated from God. But God in his great love for you and for humanity created a solution to our sin. That solution was Christ dying on the cross. It was initiated in the Christmas story when God left heaven and came to earth, lived the perfect life, died a death we deserved, and now he offers the life that he lived. Have you ever come to the point where you've acknowledged that and said, Jesus, today I surrender my life to you? If you've never done that, maybe today is the day to do so. Trust your life to Jesus. There's nothing magical or mystical. It'll make you stand on the stage, say anything you don't want to say. It's simply this moment where you surrender your life and your sin to Jesus, asking him to forgive you, change you, and transform you. As you bow your heads, close your eyes, we're going to pray, sing one more song. We're going to close out today's service. If you've never trusted Jesus with your life today, I want to encourage you to have a moment right where you're seated and ask the Lord to do so. You say your own prayer to God and just acknowledge who you are before Him, that He created a solution for our sin, which was Him on the cross, that if we would trust our life to Him, He would save us today in humble repentance this morning. Turn from your sin and trust with total surrender your life to Jesus. Lord, we thank you for today. We're grateful for the gift of your Son. God, thank you for the favor you showed Mary, which extends to us today. Your care and your concern extends to us because of the favor that you showed to Mary, the birth of the Son of God who came to the world to save us from our sin. God, today, I know there are people who have honest and sincere doubt, real doubt, real questions about their pain, their disappointment, Injustice, God, I pray today that you begin to answer that by a deep, true understanding of your favor. It's the assurance that Jesus died for our sins, that you reconciled us to the Almighty God, that you could not love us any more than you do today, and that you are working towards the end of all pain, discounting all disappointment restoring all injustice. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.